We've got to talk about Saturday's play calling. Freezing temperatures are likely for several hours inland and a few hours closer to the coast. Yes. You are Locked On Auburn, your daily podcast on the Auburn Tigers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on into Locked On Auburn, your daily Auburn Tigers podcast. I'm your host, Zach Blackerby. Thank you so much for making Locked On Auburn your first listen every single day. Joining us as it does every single Monday, Lindsey Crosby also filled in for me this past Friday. Thank you so much, sir. And the Auburn Tigers, they lost their SEC opener, the first loss of the Hugh Freeze era. Lindsey, it was not pretty. The offense was virtually nowhere to be found. And a lot of talk this weekend, since the game concluded, has been about the play calling. I can't go two steps at church without people stopping me and saying, hey, what's up with the play calling? Neighbors asking the same question. And to me, as we go back and rewatch this game, because yesterday I wasn't as critical on the play calling. After a rewatch, I'm a little more critical on it. I still don't think that was the main reason. I think execution is a bigger factor here, and I don't know what the coaching staff does about that. We'll talk about that throughout the week. But, Lindsay, when you look at the play calling, it's this weird it's this weird kind of bridge that we're trying to balance across where it seems like whoever's calling plays, it seems like it's Philip Montgomery most of the time. They don't believe in Auburn's quarterbacks but they're not calling the game in a way where they don't trust the quarterbacks. They're not stretching the field, but we've talked about this before, like building confidence early in drives with passes behind the line of scrimmage, just get the ball in the playmaker's hands. You're not seeing any of the gimme stuff. You're seeing them, you know, ask them to throw it, throw the ball, you know, 10 yards downfield. And I just think if you don't truly believe in your quarterbacks, you need to run the ball a ton, which I think they've tried to do and just get the ball into the hands of the pass catchers in a very timely manner. And we're not seeing a whole lot of that, and I think that's what we need to see more of moving forward. Yeah, the start of the Cal game felt like it was more of an effort to give the quarterbacks, in this case Peyton Thorne, something to get into a rhythm. A lot of quick passes, a lot of RPOs, where it's, you know, he's he's immediately getting rid of the ball, uh, predetermined read, that kind of stuff. And then against Texas A&M, it was just... Like you said, it wasn't run heavy enough to mitigate, like to offset not trusting your quarterback. It was just kind of banal. It was like, okay, we're going to run the ball twice and then you're, you're going to throw the ball in third and long. Well, that's not setting the quarterback up to, to, to succeed. If you didn't trust him, you would do some different things to not put him into that position. But you also didn't call routes that were like, yes, we think he can deliver the ball downfield in a spot yeah. to get us a, a, a first... like. Rivaldo Fairweather touched the ball multiple times and had virtually no yardage because he never got a play downfield. It was all short stuff. And it was like, you have to pick a lane, right? You have to decide, are we either going to trust the quarterback to deliver the ball and we're going to call the shots because that's what gets the defense to back off? Or are we going to go run heavy and just lean on the running game? You can't kind of have it both ways, right? And that kind of feels like They won't fully commit to we trust the quarterback or we don't trust the quarterback. And at this point, pick a lane. I'm with you, dude. I'm with you. And I think it would help the quarterbacks. And look, there's there's kind of split conversations about, you know, how much of a concern the offensive line is. Regardless, six sacks is bad. It doesn't matter whose fault 
It yeah. is. Whether it's pass coverage, whether it's play calling, whether it's the quarterback holding on to the ball too long, it doesn't matter. Six sacks is bad. On that note, real quick, I, I want to point out the penalties on the offensive line have been something that have been consistent just about every single week and has sure. been an issue. So even if, like, even if you weren't giving up all of those sacks and all of those hurries, it was like five penalties on the offensive line. Two of them took out good run plays. Sure. Two of them were false starts that made third downs even tougher. And one of them lost you a field goal opportunity. So yeah, maybe two. We don't yeah. know. We don't know for sure, but maybe two. But back to the play calling, Peyton Thorne threw the ball four times behind the line of scrimmage. And I just think when he's getting sacked after he holds the ball for half a second, and sometimes it was longer than that, you've just got to design easier stuff for him, I think. The Robbie Ashford just threw one ball behind the line of scrimmage, which I think is also just ridiculous. I mean, you talk about putting guys in situations to succeed on the offensive side of things. You're just, I, I don't think you're doing that. And I just think it would also <clears throat> stretch this defense because I think Peyton's got the arm talent. We saw him be inconsistent throwing the ball downfield, but I would just rather you get the ball. If the corners are off of Shane hooks, throw it to him and just see what can happen. Make a guy miss, and then all of a sudden you've got a first down. I like the upside of that way more, way more than what we saw. We, we've talked about it before. The, the Patriots, who I follow very closely, they call them drive starters. When Tom Brady would throw, you know, he'd get the ball and he'd throw a swing pass to Julian Edelman or Wes Welker. They'd call them drive starters. I don't know why you're not doing that to Jay Fair or Javarius Johnson or Jair Shorter or Shane Hooks. It doesn't Use the off, uh, use the running backs as well. I, I just don't know why that wasn't part of it. And once again, we talked about this after the Cal game. It's like, okay, your initial plan didn't work. What's your left hook? What's your plan B? And they, they, they didn't have one. I guess the plan B was just to pull Peyton Thorne and put Robbie Ashford in and then take him out on the important money downs, which doesn't make sense to me. So once again, like the play calling. There were guys when they would call plays that would get open and Peyton didn't see them. But as a coach, you've got to know that he's not seeing the entire field quick enough and you have to adjust. And I just didn't really think that that ever happened. Yeah, I mean, you have to you you have to understand what he's dealing with in that moment and call the appropriate play. And asking him to do a seven-step drop in this game was not the correct, you know, a five-step drop is not the right thing to do. Yeah. But you never saw... Like, for instance, you never saw them kind of rolling the pocket. You never saw the different things that they could do to simplify the reads and give him options and let him deliver a ball. And you see a receiver come open. It's like, yeah, he never saw it because he's watching the pass rush because mm. you haven't done anything to mitigate that. And it's it just feels like it's you're, you're kind of... Some of it's on Peyton Thorne, but sure. a lot of it is on you're not putting this offense in a position to succeed. And it, it's hard for me to think about, you have Hugh Freeze, who is a known play caller, who's really good at play calling. This yeah. is his first time giving that up. And he has to watch this happen from the sidelines and be involved. He looks like he's aged 10 years, by the way. But part of I'm you sure has to exhausted. wonder, like, at what point do you jump in and say, hey, let me, like, I'm going to call the next drive because there's a better way to do this. And I don't understand where the disconnect is between Philip Montgomery and Hugh Freeze and the offensive personnel. Yeah, and I would imagine, you know, whoever calls the plays in practice, you know, as part of relaying the communication should do it in the game, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I'm sure they've done instances where Hugh has called sessions. Maybe not. I have no clue. But 
That needs to be something that I'm sure is addressed or discussed this week as they head into Georgia. But it's just one other thing, like with uh, this, this is probably more on the quarterback's decisions versus Hugh Freeze and Philip Montgomery's. But we talked about this after the Cal game. You went out and got all these big-bodied receivers and Rivaldo Fairweather at tight end. I want to see more 50-50 balls. And I'm not talking about Charlie Five's patented uh, fade routes. I'm talking about just throw it up and give these guys a shot. I don't care yeah. if they're covered. Just give them a shot. And really, the only one, only time that happened was when Robbie threw it to Hooks. And Hooks, I mean, he got his hands on it. You know, So if that was Rivaldo, I think he catches that ball. And, and we're talking about how great, how great of a throw that was by Robbie Ashford because it was a great throw. You know, Shane just didn't catch it. So... I don't know. I, I weirdly enough, I feel a little bit better about it after the rewatch. I still think it's going to be a tough road to fix all of this, Lindsay. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if we're really going to know the answer to if all of these things are fixed for three weeks, because I think Georgia is going to be really, really tough to move the ball against. Then you get a bye week and then you go to LSU. And I think that's when you're going to have the opportunity to do that. Just watching Arkansas. And LSU, I think Auburn could be both of those teams. I, I I can't. From a talent standpoint, they've just got to execute, and they've all got to get on the same page on offense. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Any more thoughts on that before we move to defense, Lindsay? Uh, not really. I mean, it's something. The the 50-50 ball, the, the idea there is you can run the ball into the line twice, or you can give somebody a chance to make a play downfield. And I think at this point, what do you have to lose by taking the shot downfield? Yeah, just in situations where you know you're going to get pressured, make make it easier on your quarterback, throw things to the outside, use the, the passing game behind the line of scrimmage just to make the defense have to defend something different. And mm -hmm. it's it's a completion for two yards. It's all of a sudden a situation that makes Peyton Thorne and Robbie Ashford feel more confident throwing the ball. And maybe it allows your, the opposing defensive backs to play differently. I, I just, you got to do something different. You have to do something different. And it felt like it was the same thing over and over and over and over again. It just didn't work. It just didn't work. But Lindsay, boy, this defense. This defense is a lot of fun. And Auburn is still going to continue to win games because of this defense. We discuss more in just a moment right here on Locked On Auburn. Today's show is brought to you by our friends at LinkedIn Jobs. I can't imagine hiring someone and not using LinkedIn Jobs. It'd be silly. You're leaving talent on the table when you do that because every uh, new potential hire is like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want the most talented folks to help you and join your team. It's like a transfer portal, but there's like no window. It's just always open because of LinkedIn jobs. So go out and get the guys or gals that you want on your team. LinkedIn has all these great screening tools that can help you assemble your team. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. That's linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Today's show is also brought to you by our friends at Auburn Med Aesthetic. We've all been in that situation, gentlemen. I'm talking to you specifically, gentlemen, where it's like, oh my goodness, it's the day of and I need to give my significant other something. And I've dropped the ball. I've forgotten. Our friends at Auburn Med Aesthetics, you can go to their website, auburnmedaesthetics.com, and you can get a gift card. And uh, they can use it for Botox or facials or laser treatments. Whatever it is that they get there is going to make them feel loved and cherished. And it's going to make them feel better as well. 
And they'll also love meeting with Dr. Nancy Herring and her master esthetician, Circe Kelly. They've got over 15 years of experience in the med spa industry. And this is the best med spa in the Auburn, Opelika County area. Head over to auburnmedesthetics.com uh, to buy a gift card or stop by Auburn Metastetics to get the full service med spa serving Auburn, Opelika, and Lee County. Once again, use those last minute gift cards over at auburnmedesthetics.com. Guys, we promise she will love it. Lindsey Crosby, our guest, every single Monday, the defense did its job. Lindsey, it's just they ran out of gas over the course of the 60 minutes because they're on the field. And to be honest, A&M's backup quarterback seemed better than their starter, which, boy, how many times have offered people seen that, right? <laughs> Goodness gracious. We talk about the the whole like TV broadcast, talk about how Connor Wegman, like, you know, if they would have beat Miami, he'd be like in the Heisman conversation. And then it's like Auburn shutting him down. Then in comes Max Johnson. And it's like, oh, okay. All right. They may have started the wrong guy. Who knows? So that was frustrating. But all elements of the defense, I feel fine with. I know they gave up a lot of chunk plays late. I feel fine about everything on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, like you look at the first half and they do a really good job in the first half of like tightening up. They had some 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 early mistakes. They they correct that. And then the third quarter comes. Texas A&M has the ball for like 10 minutes in the third quarter. Auburn has two three and outs, gets like three yards of total offense. Mm. And from that point on, it was over. Six of the eight explosive plays were in the second half. There was four huge passes in that third quarter. And a lot of it was like, okay, this defense has just been on the field forever. And then you had guys get nicked up. Donovan Kaufman has to leave the game for a little bit. DJ James, Zion Puckett, Asante has to come to the sideline. And so like you can, they can only do so much. And yeah. the first half defense tells me that this is a really talented unit and the coaching is really good. Uh, like they're getting everything they need from Ron Roberts as far as scheme, uh, creating pressure. And it's just the offense. If the offense could be average, it's a situation where the defense can, can keep you in games and probably mm -hmm. win you a couple, but it's, they have to have a chance to breathe. The offense has to at least be able to sustain a drive to keep them in it. And that was the difference in this one was just that third quarter. They spent so much time covering grass that they didn't have a chance to breathe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it wore them down. And that's, that's the importance of, you know, to have a really good defense, you need a good offense too, or at least an okay offense. And Auburn didn't have an okay offense on Saturday. We're getting a bigger and bigger picture each week about what this Ron Roberts defense is going to look like. And I think it's looked like everything we wanted it to. I mean, there were two plays where you, they sent DBs. It was just, it was, it was beautiful. Jalen Simpson, who it was actually that hit that, that knocked Connor Wegman out a few plays later. It looks like he like Jalen Simpson hit. I mean, like grabbed his ankle. The other one was Caleb Wooden. I mean, that's his first career sack at Auburn. It, it was wonderful. Um, I mean, all of that looked great. Cam Riley got a sack as well. It's looking awesome. Uh, you mentioned Donovan Kaufman getting hurt, and it's wild because it seemed like he was down after a play like four or five times throughout the game. I think I'm exaggerating a little bit. It was probably three or four, which is still a lot. But for context, Auburn was on defense for 61 snaps, right? And Donovan Kaufman still played 44 of them. <laughs> like... Guy's tough as nails. You can tell he wants to be out there, and I commend him for it. Yeah, like 
Auburn had a lot of defenders get a lot of snaps. Jalen Simpson was on the field for 53 plays. Linebacker Larry Nixon was on the field for 58 plays. And it's like, that's not, those aren't normal numbers, right? Marcus Harris was out there for 40 plus snaps. And it's, it's something where you're Marcus Harris, by the way, quietly having an incredible season. Oh my gosh. He, he he graded out really well. He looks really good on film. He's doing everything we thought he would. Yeah. You're not seeing the statistical production, but that's not his role in the defense. He's being disruptive. He's getting attention from offensive linemen. He's getting double yeah. teams. He's freeing up everybody else. I don't know if if you see those two sacks from the line from a linebacker and from a defensive back if Marcus Harris isn't getting the attention he's getting from the offensive line on every single play. I'll give you that. I'll give yeah. you that. Um, a guy that, that I wanted to talk about, Keldrick Falk. If you're, uh, if you're into PFF's grades, which some people are, some people aren't, I think PFF's useful for some context. It doesn't tell the whole story. Mm-hmm. But Keldrick Falk was the highest-graded defensive player on Auburn's team. May have been the highest player. No, not the highest player. Yep. So, or yes, was the highest player on both sides of the ball. 85.8. Defensive grade, which is very, very good. Just playing 23 snaps. And he played at a lot of different places on the line. You know, he played, uh, what, six snaps at tackle, 10 snaps on the left side defensive end, six side, uh, six on the right side. Like, it's great, but I am wondering why he's not playing more. So he played 13 snaps against UMass, 14 against Cal, 26 Last week against Sanford, but a lot of people played a lot of snaps against Sanford last week. And then 23 against Texas A&M. I'd like to see more of him. I think they've got to figure that out. In his 12 pass rushing snaps, he created three pressures. One was a quarterback, uh, two was a quarterback, two were quarterback hurries. One was a quarterback hit, which is even better. And I, I just, I don't understand why we're not seeing more of Keldrick Falk. Yeah, it's if you're having to figure out where his snaps are going to come from, it feels like Messiah Nisilikite. He got 28, 30 snaps, something like that. And it really didn't feel like he did a lot with the pass rushing snaps he got. It feels like you can flop those two guys and you can give uh, Falk, you know, more pass rushing snaps in those obvious situations. And I like what they did as far as kicking him inside on some pass rushing downs give him a chance to use his speed against a guard or somebody like that and get some pressure. But the fact that you just didn't see a lot, you haven't seen a lot all season from the Jacks. And I know mm-hmm. that he's technically not a Jack. You now he's moved to defensive end, but the fact that you're just not seeing pass rushing from really anybody on this defense, you're creating the pressure through coaching through scheme. Like if you have a guy who is so good at this, and Keldrick Falk graded out at an 87.1 on pass rushing down, so the 12 that he had, you've got to give him more opportunities. And for him to be, I mean, he was in the top three or four for number of pass rushing snaps, but you've got to find a way to get him more involved with that aspect of the game. Like, he's fine against the run. He they dropped him in coverage once, but he does so much to stop, uh, like, for pass rushing, and they've got to give him more opportunities to do that. He should not be behind Justin Rogers on pass rushing snaps. I'm with you. I'm with you on that. There's no question about it. So 
What does Auburn do moving forward? Lindsay and I discuss next right here on Locked on Auburn. Today's show brought to you by our friends at Athletic Brewing Company. Athletic Brewing Company, they are changing the game, and that's why they are bringing us your Game Changer of the Week, brought to you by Athletic Brewing Company. Much like Jalen Simpson, Athletic Brewing Company has completely changed an non-alcoholic beer game. You know what? No disrespect to Jalen Simpson, but we're going to give it to Eugene Asante. They make non-alcoholic beers that actually taste good, much like Eugene Asante changed the game for the Auburn defense. We've seen it all year, but he actually turned some of that playmaking ability into points and actually gave Auburn life later in that game than they probably deserved it. So we're going to give that to him. Congratulations, Eugene Asante. But look, Athletic Brewing Company, they're changing the game with non-alcoholic beer. They've got a ton of different flavors over at their website. And you can find Athletic in store online and at bars around the country. And look, it's fit for all time, so you can drink them anywhere, anytime, and make any activity even more enjoyable. You can find Athletic Brewing Company's non-alcoholic brews at a store near you or buy online at athleticbrewing.com. First-time customers can use code LOCKEDON to get 15% off your order. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. At checkout for 15% off at athleticbrewing.com near beer. Exclusions and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company fit for all times. Lindsey Crosby, our guest, every single Monday. And I'm just curious to see how Auburn handles Georgia and then stacks the bye week that's right after it together. Because this is new. We, we don't know how Hugh Freeze really does things. But if you're going to beat Georgia... I actually think your defense is playing good enough. The mm -hmm. offense just has to totally change who they are. And it's interesting because I think if you're going to really change who you are, you've got to know who you are first. And and there's no way that they have any idea of what their identity is because I don't think anybody does. Yeah, and and to me, there's a, a question about like who deserves more playtime, who deserves less playtime, right? Like how do you how do you adjust the personnel for your strengths and what you do? And like we've seen Revolta Fairweather should be out there as much as possible. Sure. Shane Hooks, Jay Fair need to be out there as much as possible. I think both of those two guys had 30-something snaps out of 65. I mean, I, I'm with you on Jay. Who'd you say? Shane Hooks, Jay Fair, and who? Uh, Revolta Fairweather. Yeah, I'm cool with two of those. Shane Hooks, like, I mean, it's starting to become a trend where he's like, it, it's hitting him in the shoulder pads or the helmet, and he's not catching it. At what point do we change? Like, at what point do we say, Hold on, like prove to us you can do it more consistently, then we'll give you those reps. I, I, I'm just genuinely asking the question here. That's valid. I'm just asking the question, and I'm pulling for, I'm pulling for Shane Hooks more than anybody else. But I'm just, I'm just asking the questions here. The question I want to ask is, Brian Batie has looked very good with the ball in his hands. I believe he led the team in both rushing yardage and receiving yardage. On Saturday, and so, like it's we've already seen the split uh, go to favor him as far as the number two behind Jarquez Hunter. Like, at what point do we mm -hmm. say like Batie needs to touch the ball as much as possible or more than he's doing already? Jeremiah Cobb got two snaps. I'm at the point of like Demari Olson got three, and I'm at the point of like why even risk using one of their four games if you're going to give them the ball two or three times, have them in the in the game for two or three snaps. Right. Like either play them or don't play them. 
But like Sean Jackson had the longest play of the game. At what point do you start giving more snaps to Sean Jackson and less to Demario Allison and Jer- Jeremiah Cobb? Do you find a way to get Brian Batie the ball more? How do you change this offense to account for what you can and can't do on offense? So, Jay Fair leading the team with 22 catches for 15 catches off of 22 targets. You take that. That's 68%. Shane Hooks has been thrown to 17 times. He's caught eight. That is 47%. That's a way lower number than any of the other ones I'm about to read you. Mm-hmm. Rivaldo Fairweather has been thrown to 12 times. He's caught 11. Javaris Johnson has been thrown to eight times. He's caught at five. I mean, all of these guys, and I get that some of the stuff that Shane Hooks is doing is these 50-50 balls, but like, I don't know if they're actually 50-50 balls all the time. You know what I mean? And I just, is there a big drop-off between him and somebody else on this team? I don't know. I don't know, but he's second on the team in targets, and I, I, maybe I'm being too hard on him, but like I expected more from Shane Hooks. If you I put, think Shane Hooks, as far as natural ability, he's probably first on this team as far as natural ability. It's just not happening yet. If you put somebody else in that spot, do they catch more of those same passes than Shane Hooks does? I think that's I the question you have to answer if you're a coaching staff. Is Are we losing offensive efficiency by trying to force feed the ball to Shane Hooks? Yeah, it's a good question. And, you know, and it's like... Cam Brown barely played on Saturday. He has no catches on the year. And it's like, at what point do we say, do we say, okay, you know, like it's obvious they've kind of adjusted away from him. Like, okay, at what point do you do that with Shame Hooks? Do you say we're going to give you the Georgia game to see if you can do it? Do we go ahead and make the change now? I don't know. I, I, that's the thing is it's, it's not, there's no obvious fixes on this team other than you need better play calling and better execution on, uh, on offense. And, that's easy for us to say, but like, as like for a fan, where do you say, "Hey, this is how we fix this team," and it's not, it's not immediately obvious, and that's the frustrating part for I'm sure a lot of fans listening to the show right now. What's more surprising to you, Camden Brown has only been thrown to twice in all four games with no catches, or Jair Shorter has been thrown to four times and he's only has one catch. Which one of those is more surprising? To me, it's Jair Shorter. I was about to say, I'm, I think I'm going to say Shorter simply because we heard so much about how good, he, how, how big of a threat he was down the field. Yeah. Cam Brown has always been fit, like the physical attributes were there, but he had to prove it. He mm. had to learn the offense. He had to make it happen on the field. Shorter is one of those, like we brought him in to be an instant impact guy because this is what he's done down the field at his previous stops. And it's like, well, we're not seeing any of that right now. And so, like, right now, you can't really say that Shane Hooks or Jair Shorter have been, like, what it was the right decision to bring them in. I'm not saying it was the wrong decision, but you sure. haven't seen anything to say this was obviously the right decision. It's like, at some point in time, some of these transfers have to work out. Who's going to be the guy that works out? Because Jay Fair has been everything we thought he could be in more. He's been fantastic. Oh, I think it's the more for him. Yeah, but yeah. like other than him, a lot of your, your returning veterans, Malcolm Johnson Jr., Javarius Johnson, I know they've dealt with stuff, but they haven't uh, lived up to expectations. Revolta Fairweather's been what you thought he could be, but you're not getting the ball to him enough. But like other than that, the rest of the transfers haven't held up their end of the bargain. And at some point in time, you've got to see them get better at, uh, at going up and getting these balls and finding ways to put themselves in position to get targets. And yeah. they're just not doing that. 
Yeah, or get them the ball and easy behind the line of scrimmage type stuff. Treat it like an extension of the run game and just yeah. see what they can do. I like that option to circle it back to the show and go full circle here. I just don't fully get it, but we'll see. Lindsey Crosby, how can people check out everything you've got going on? I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. That's the link to everything, whether it's Auburn Sports, AuburnDaily.com, whether it's Minor League Baseball, Locked in MB Prospects, or Major League Baseball, BravesToday.com. Yeah, you can find all my written work at uh, those places as well, AuburnDaily.com, and we will see you tomorrow. This has been Locked on Auburn.